Welcome to the Pop Culture Pub Podcast. Now let's begin. Well, hello, fellow podcast listener, and welcome to the Pop Culture Pub Podcast. I'm your host, my name is Chris Lockhart, and we have a full house this evening. Uh, first up, I have a couple of my co-hosts here. First up, we have Lillian Knelson. How's it going, Lillian? We are doing okay today. Excellent. Uh, next up uh, is another co-host in crime, Mr. Kevin Decent. How's it going, Kevin? It is going well. Um, I I got to admit, I know all of our schedules are a little different. Um, I'm very glad tomorrow's Friday, though. Yeah. Very glad. <laughs> um, and we have a special guest this evening. Uh, I know him best as MDJ, but he his name is Michael Dean Jackson. How's it going, Michael? It's going well, thank you. Good to be here. Excellent. So, uh, it's been a while since you've been on the podcast, so... Uh, Tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and, and, and what you've been up to lately. All right. Well, I am M.D. Jackson. Uh, as M.D. Jackson, I am a science fiction illustrator and artist. Um, I'm currently working for Amazing Stories magazine, uh, mm-hmm. which at the moment is on hiatus. Um, nevertheless, I've also uh, done book covers for uh, a number of small press yep. publishers. And... Um, Apropos of nothing, I also write under the pseudonym Jack McKenzie. Um, my uh, last novel was called Wild Incorporated, The Shattered Men. It was a, uh, a, a pulp-type thriller, and I'm uh, currently writing the sequel to that. Excellent. Or Jack is. <clears throat> oh, that's awesome. Uh, yes, you are, you're a very busy, busy guy, and, and thanks for, uh, for coming on tonight. Not a problem. Um... Before, <clears throat> excuse me, got a bit of a cough. Um, before we uh, kick off uh, the episode, uh, Kevin and Lillian, how are, how are you guys doing? Anything new in, in your uh, corner of the world? Oh, good grief. Uh, for me, I don't know about <laughs> you, Kevin, but life is just trying to figure out some form of normal um Aside from the fact that I'm super grateful that there are streaming services with amazing shows coming out, it's just prepping for summer chaos. We're expecting tourists where I live, hockey teams are back on, and we're just, it's just, I, to any of our listeners out there, if you're one of the parents of a child from a hockey team, don't be a dick. <laughs> yeah. I work in a hotel is- record. Oh my God. It is the most expensive sport to get your kids into, and I I think it's funny when you hear parents like, "Oh, you want you know two hundred dollar basketball sneakers? Like that's you're getting off light. Mm-hmm. That's the the sneakers are all you need for that sport, pretty much." Well, you look at, 
other ones and hockey being insane for it. I, I, w- I was just going to throw on there, like, it's uh, funny, my um, my uh, stepmother and I were actually talking about this the other day, because she works in uh, the school system, and uh, one of her students that she works with, for that per, I, uh, I'm not sure if it's a boy or girl, but for that student to play basketball, it's like a $450 entry fee just to play basketball. You know, like when, like I don't know, like when I went to school, basketball was free. Like you know, like yeah. if if you wanted like a personalized jersey, you know, then you, your parents would have to pay the thirty bucks or whatever for that. But <clears throat> I couldn't believe that when she told me that. See, I, I got off lucky. Like with my kids, um, like my son played uh, fun hockey, uh, so it was like I don't know, two hundred dollars a year or something like that. And of course, we had to buy his equipment, but I lucked out because. My cousin has three boys of her own that are a little bit older, so we got a lot of hand-me-down equipment, uh, which really helped out big time. But uh, my daughters, you know, my one daughter played or was in judo. I think we had to buy her gi, which was whatever, 50 bucks or something. And then my other daughter is just content chilling at home, you know. Like, I I pay her Roblox subscription. That's about it. So my uh, my stepson used to play football uh, and it was the inaugural year of the football team. They'd never had football before in the town that I live in. And OK, uh, so no one had hand me down. No one had secondhand gear. We all had to buy new gear. So, yeah, I uh, I hear you. See, this is why the world this is why the World Cup is most popular in the rest of the world, because with soccer, <laughs> you don't need anything. You just need you yep. don't even need shoes sometimes. See these kids playing it with bare feet. In, uh, in in Europe and other countries, uh, all you need is a ball. Yep. <laughs> so there's no way. There's hardly any entry fee. That's why the World Cup uh, is is big in the rest of the world, whereas the, in our you know technological or, or ice you know winter countries, yeah, uh, we, we we have to uh, we have to buy gear. Yeah. I, I like uh, in my town we we do have a, a nice uh, fun soccer league, and I did coach for a couple of years. Well, like when my oldest two were younger. And it was like, yeah, ten dollars, and basically that covered the everyone chipping in ten dollars covered the insurance for the league, and then uh, a T-shirt, you know, that, that they all got. So, but yeah, it, it's crazy how uh, some of these competitive sports can just get so, you know, outrageous with the with the the funds, um, especially if you're playing like uh, competitive hockey, like you know. Aside from the gear and entry fees and stuff, you got to travel all over the place, and sometimes you got to you know spend a, a weekend somewhere, which you <laughs> know may, yeah might yeah, might be staying at Lillian's hotel. <laughs> yeah. Which honestly, like they do spend a, an insane amount of money staying at hotels, and I have mad respect for that. And mm-hmm. it's when the kids end up vandalizing things, and I have to parent twenty little assholes. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, really? Yeah. And then I get like snarled at by them, but I'm just like, no, we're not doing this today. You chose violence today. I am not in the mood. Yeah. Choose to live. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um. Well, for this episode, the topic is, and I don't know, this might be a little bit confusing how I worded it. Things we like before we were born. 
Um, so these are things that we liked or like to read and watch or listen to that was made before we were born. So we're going to kind of be dating ourselves here a little bit, which is fine. Um, uh, very, very unfair though, <clears throat> because with Lillian being in her early twenties, she gets uh, a, a, a bigger variety of things to choose from than we do. Oh, oh I am so <laughs> in love with you right now, sweetie. You just aged me down a decade. Awesome. Uh, if I was in my early 20s and I currently have a child turning 18. Adopted. Yes, I adopted him. Um. All right, well, I'll kick it off. Um, I was born in 1980. Um, and for anyone who knows me, if you if you check my social medias and anyone who knows me personally, or if you grew up with me especially, you would know that I am a Star Trek fan. It's probably what? my... Yeah, it's weird, right? Never! It, oh my gosh, what is this? It, it's probably my favorite franchise. Like, I'm, a, I'm a, a what I call an eclectic nerd. You know, I like a lot of things. You know, a lot of different franchises, a lot of different series. But Star Trek's probably number one on my list. And it didn't begin with The Next Generation. Because um, that came out in 1987. Um, my love of Star Trek was born from uh, watching reruns of the original series, which, of course, aired originally from 1966 to 1969. And... You know, God bless the CBC. It you know they kept it on the on their airwaves for you know you know two or three decades after, and yeah, that was the series that that got it rolling for me. Like I, I remember um, as a little kid watching the original series, and I remember picking up on certain things. Like I remember thinking, because I think I must have watched. I remember watching the episode with Spock's dad, Sarek. And then after that, I watched the episode with uh, Mark Leonard, who played Sarek, um, playing the Romulan commander in Balance of Terror. And I remember being confused by that. It's like, why is Spock's dad a bad guy? And I remember asking my dad that. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, my dad kind of explaining it to me that, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a different character. Um, and God bless this. You know, I can't say enough about the CBC. Uh, for getting, you know, helping me to become a Star Trek fan. Because, like, as much as I, I've said this before, as much as I'm a, a, a nerd for, for science fiction and stuff and fantasy, my dad's a nerd for sports. His, his Star Trek is the NHL. And, um, CBC used to air Star Trek before Hockey Night in Canada on Saturdays when I was growing up. So, of course, my dad, you know, we only had two channels. So my dad would just turn it to CBC, you know, in preparation for Hockey Night in Canada. And, you know, we'd watch the original series. Because my dad's not a Star Trek fan, which is ironic. Because he's, him and my mom got me into watching Star Trek, you know. Uh, and I, I remember watching the original series movies. My, you know, my mom said, uh, you know, if she, if she, you know when I was a toddler, if she wanted me to quiet down and just, you know, chill, she would, uh, she had taped, uh, the wrath of Khan on VHS and she would just put that in and I would just sit there and watch the wrath of Khan, 
you know, the way, you know, most kids would watch Elmo or, um, you know, I guess it's Paw Patrol now, that sort of thing. So, yeah, for me, uh, Star Trek, that's, you know, I've been loving that since before I was born. Uh, so, so the way this episode's going to work, we're, we're just going to go around the table a few times and, and, uh, reflect on things that we like. Um, Michael, uh, you're mm-hmm. our guest this evening. So what, what is something that you like, uh, that was created before you were born? Well, I, I like Star Trek, uh, probably as much as you do, if not more. Uh, although now Star Trek and I are basically the same age. Um, if, in fact, if you if you go by the uh, original air date, I'm probably a little older. So technically, I could put Star Trek under my arm and give it a noogie. But um, <laughs> um, so so that's you know, not from before I was born. There are lots of other things that I I love from way before I was born. Uh, I was a I'm a big fan of the Universal Monsters. Mm, um, yeah. I was a huge fan of um, you know uh, uh, old science fiction movies. Uh, from the 30s and 40s, actually, comics, comedians, Laurel and Hardy, uh, all of those guys, long before I was born. I cut my teeth in regards to science fiction and fantasy by reading uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs, mm. who, of course, created Tarzan, but also, yep. you know, the um, uh, Polisidar and the, and the um, John Carter of Mars. Uh, that... I mean, Burroughs was dead before I even discovered him. So, you know, this is all his his body of work was from way before I was born. Uh, another, and as far as fantasy goes, my, my uh, you know, Tolkien, of course, uh, he wrote um, all of his work from long before I was born. And I'm, you know, and I just, you know, realizing I'm probably the oldest guy here because I'm I'm 57 years old. Uh, so, you know, the stuff that predates me is is real old. Uh, <laughs> um, uh so yeah, Robert E. Howard, um, the creator of Conan. Yep. He wrote. He was long dead. He died long, you know, uh, back in the 30s. Um, so all of his stuff goes back to the 1920s or early 30s. Um, voraciously read all of um, uh, Robert E. Howard. So and that is the stuff that shaped me uh, as far as um, my entertainment tastes and, and basically who I am. Uh, matter of fact, if you indulge, if you indulge me here, I'm going to tell you a story. Um, everyone, I don't know if you guys know who Forrest J. Ackerman is or, yep. and or was. Oh my God, yes. The okay, Ackerman. Now, Forrest J. Ackerman, if you know anything about Forrest J. Ackerman, you know, he tells the story about how he got into science fiction. When he was a young lad, he went to a newsstand and he said, and he always says this, he would say, he said this to me and he was always said this at, where at, uh, conventions and things. Most people don't know this, but back then, magazines used to talk. And I went to this newsstand and this magazine looked at me and said, little boy, if you take me home, you will love me. And the magazine was Amazing Stories, the very first issue of Amazing Stories. So Forrest J. Ackerman, back in the 1920s, picked up Hugo Gernsback's Amazing Stories magazine, took it home. He loved it. It changed his life. He eventually when he became uh, uh, you know, older, he became a publisher and he published a magazine called Famous Monsters of Filmland. Now, me with my love of old Universal Monster movies, I came across that um, on the newsstand and there was Famous Monsters of film stand, they used to, uh, Filmland. They used to have covers painted by an, an artist named Basil Gogos, who's, who is one of my absolute heroes. I love him. Uh, again, long dead. Um, but um, I would go to the newsstand 
And, you know, back then, magazines used to talk. And this magazine, Famous Monsters of Filmland, Filmland, said to me, little boy, if you take me home, you will love me. And I did, and I did, and it changed my life. Years later, I was at a convention in Seattle, and I got to meet, and, and actually I spent an afternoon with, with Forrest Jackerman. And that was one of the things that I, he told the story about how he found amazing stories and how it changed his life. And I was mm-hmm. able to tell him that story, that I found his magazine on the newsstand and it said, little boy, take me home and you will love me. And I did. And I said, and it changed my life. And he looked at me and said, I'm terribly sorry. And I said, no, 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 <laughs> hadn't been for you. I would have been an accountant or something. So, you know, thank you. Uh, anyway, so that moment being able to um, uh, share that with, with Forey. Uh, and again, most of those magazines, most of those issues, uh, you know, uh, that magazine predated me. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I was a kid, the magazine was on the shelves, but it, he, it began from before I was born. And Forey, of course, you know, most of his fanish activities happened before before I was born. And, but I was very fortunate to get to spend some time with him and and uh, engage with him. But uh, and today, of course, I find that here I am working for Amazing Stories magazine, which has uh, been revived. And it's although, I, as I say, it's on hiatus. But the last issue, mm-hmm. I, I not only contributed artwork, I actually was the assistant art director. So it's come full circle for me. So there's my story. Awesome. That, that's fantastic um and, and yeah it's so awesome you got to meet meet forrest j ackman i remember um i used to watch in the 90s sci-fi buzz on the sci-fi channel we we had satellite and um i loved it whenever they would tour his mansion and you'd see all the things that he collected and and had it was i remember just being so amazed by his collection and uh, mm-hmm. wanting to wanting to go there, but unfortunately, I never did. But uh, no, that that's awesome. Thank you, um, Kevin. Uh, what are some things that you like from before you were born? All right, I, I have a few. Um, I'll start with this one because it's actually within recent years. Uh, I like to go through. Um, used bookstores, uh, you know, thrift stores, library sales, stuff like that. Yep. And I'll usually grab um, any comic or, or sci-fi or horror thing that just looks interesting, you know, cool cover, fun thing and all. So I have quite a lot of the, you know, the DAW paperbacks with the yellow spines on them and all. Mm-hmm. But what I keep finding is sort of the uh, the pulpy westerns, too. And I, I wasn't interested in it, but I keep seeing them. So one day, not that long ago, I thought, I'm going to just buy a random one here, a quarter, mm-hmm. and read it just for curiosity there. And it was uh, Louis Moore, yeah, one of the Sackett stories, mm-hmm. which uh, the Sackett family's just, you know, it, it's it's a cousin, it's an uncle, it's a brother. I swear brother, to God, whatever. I have read all of those. They are so good. It was so much fun. Mm-hmm. It was just pulpy, exciting Western. And I'm like, oh, this is what it could be. And so then I thought, all right, let me take a, a fresh eye to Westerns then. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't like it when I was a kid, but it was also one of the things that, like, you know, um, there's one TV in the house. And if someone older has claimed the TV, then you're stuck with what they want to watch. Yep. So did I not like Westerns because I didn't like Westerns or did I not like it because I wanted to watch cartoons at that time, you know? 
Yep. Um, so we have, um, with the switch to uh, digital antennas and digital cable and everything, you can plug in your digital antenna thing and get all these weird extra channels now, in addition to, like, some of the networks. So there's a, a random sci-fi channel. There's a random, you know, classic TV channel. And, all, and one of them is just random westerns. Mm-hmm. And I was like, all right, let me just throw it on. And it happened to be old episode of Have Gun Will Travel. And God, it was so good. It was just so good for like, uh, just uh, a, a rogue in a way, a code of honor, violent but not over the top violence. So more in the storytelling of it. Mm-hmm. making the most of every penny that you have available, which isn't that much. And, you know, we got to get an episode out because we got to get a new one done next week, too. And coincidentally, within like a couple of weeks after, I found the complete series at a closeout store on DVD. So I grabbed that right away. But with I, I'm well aware that Star Trek was, you know, wagon train to the stars. Yep. Star Wars certainly has Western elements to it. There's stuff in comics that has cherry-picked certain Western elements and all. But I never went back to the source, in a way. And now I'm like, it's all the stuff I love. It's the hero, it's the journey, it's the moral code, it's the story, it's the violence, it's the adventure. It's all of that stuff. It just happens to take place in this area. Yeah, but it's all the it's all the adventure and excitement and pulp and you know trash culture that I love. It's just in this different locale, and I'm like, why was I sleeping on this? And I and I think much like a lot of things, I love comics, I love sci-fi, I love all this other stuff, but I'm more familiar with those things, so I know what's I know what's trash, mm-hmm. like actual trash. I know what's good. And I know it's just, you know, bubblegum. Like, okay, there's nothing to this, but I'll enjoy it for the time I'm consuming it, and then I'll forget about it the next moment. But I didn't have any background like that for anything Western. So I'm, it's like I'm discovering and learning all of it on my own in a way here for it, which makes it exciting and fun too. But also because no one cares right now, I'm finding all the stuff dirt cheap, too. Like, I can find the, the Long Arm series and the Sackett series and all this other stuff for pennies. At any, you know, thrift store or, or you know, yep. used bookstore or whatever. And some stuff I've even grabbed for free. Just, like, boxes of it. Because people are like, oh, I don't care. What am I going to do with it? I'm like, I'll figure something out. No, I, ha- I haven't gone into, you know, uh, epics for it. Yeah, And now I'm on an overall western thing here but it's i think it came out after i was born i'm 78 but um i know that like my fam, every member of my family's read lonesome dove at least twice mm-hmm. but i i haven't ventured that far down into it yet but it's you know in, in my 40s i shouldn't be discovering a whole new geeky genre of something to get into and yet here i am there's there's nothing wrong with that, Kevin. I I, I kind of feel the same way. Like I like I know um, growing up, like my grandpa 
um, was really into westerns. And I mean, his his parents were were pioneers. Like they literally came up from uh, North Dakota and settled not too far from where I grew up. Um, you know, and they came in a wagon and all that kind of stuff. And their horses died because they got swamp fever. I'm not exactly sure what that is. Um, but yeah, you know, he, he loved Westerns and, and, um, you know, my, my exposure to Westerns were kind of limited when I was growing up because my parents weren't into Westerns, you know? Um, you know, so I, I mean, I watched Young Guns, I, you know, Back to the Future 3, that was uh, about as close as I came. And then it wasn't until I got a little bit older that, uh, I was actually reading a, a, uh, I came across a Matt Braun novel, um, Oh, which one was it? The, the I can't remember what it was called, Shadow Territory or something like that. And it was a western, and and yeah, I, I loved it. Uh, I thought it was fantastic, and and um, you know, I've since, of course, went back and watched westerns, and and um, you know, really, really came to appreciate that genre. Um. You know, and it's especially cool to think, you know, like my great grandparents and you know, they lived that, that was their life. Um, but yeah, well, uh, Lillian, uh, what do you got, uh, first up on your list of, uh, things you liked before you were born? Well, here's the funny thing. So I also was kind of curious if we skirted this. So I was born in 1984 and a whole bunch of really cool stuff came out in 1984 that Mm -hmm. I love. So I was like, does this count if it was also not so much before I was born, but also before I was cognitively able to enjoy it? Oh, absolutely. You can include it. Absolutely. (laughs) Ah, okay, good. Uh, but so no, first up on my list is, um, old school MGM movies, um, and old school musicals. Um, I have a horrible, horrible obsession with, um, everything from anchors away with, um, Frank Sinatra, uh, to, you know, the unsinkable Molly Brown to, to all of that, all of every musical, every single one of them. I love them so much. Um, my daughter just started voice lessons in September and her vocal teacher was quite impressed with her knowledge of useless musicals. (laughs) And I'm rather proud of that considering this is something that, I mean, we still have musicals to stay in Broadway still is very much alive and mm-hmm. they're turning Broadway into film very badly. Yeah. Um, which, yeah, but well, I mean, but still, uh, but um, it's something that if I'm having a bad mood, if I'm in a bad mood, I will put on an old movie like that um, or a musical and, and it, it just, you can't go wrong with that. And I love them. Like my mom, uh, the first movie she ever saw in theater was called Rosemary. Um, and let me just pull it up. I just got to grab the year it was made. And I ended up buying it for her. And mm-hmm. then I ended up watching it over and over again, over and over and over again. 1936. I love this movie so much. It's about a Mountie. So this famous singer, um, her brother is a bad boy. And the Mounties are chasing him. And she ends up going to meet her brother and she ends up meeting this Mountie. And they actually do this ridiculous song about how Mounties always get their man. 
Um, and of course it's, she ends up falling in love with the Mountie and, um, it's this, you know, of course her brother's still a bad guy and I think he ends up dying. I don't remember, but it's the kind of thing that would, with the songs in it, the, gets stuck in your head that my sisters and I end up, um, quoting to each other that nobody else would ever get. Like there's this one song where he just starts like, of course, as they do in movies, starts singing at her from across a boat. And it's this hilarious, like a yodeling crooning thing that my sisters and I will just start bursting into song at each other. And, and it, I swear people must think we're insane. Um, <laughs> but it's so good. Um, and that's one of the things like any old MGM movie. And I know, I know that they were not the nicest company to work for and they were absolutely terrible to their staff, but you can't, you can't go wrong <laughs> with some of those movies. Um, and ironically, since you did mention, um, you know, the, the, the sackets there, um, it was old John Wayne movies as well. Mm. So I have a soft spot for John Wayne movies. And that's the start of my I love the olden days. Just Excellent. a pile of good old movies. Excellent. Um, yeah. All right. Well, uh, for round two, I'm going back and I'm just going to throw a bunch of 60s stuff in there. Uh, and actually, the first one, I think, actually began in the late 50s. Um, it does, like, I'm a huge fan of the Twilight Zone. I, I want to say that the original series started in 59, something like that, but it, it went into the sixties. Um, I, you know, and, and I mean, any, any iteration of the Twilight Zone that they do, I watch like, you know, in the early two thousands when UPN, you know, had the franchise there and the new one that they did on Paramount plus, uh, you know, with, um, uh, the guy, oh, um, Jordan, uh, Peele. Jordan, Jordan Peele. Peele. Yes, yes. Uh, he was excellent. Uh, you know, like, I mean, no one can re replace Rod Serling, but, uh, he, he, he did pretty good. And I like Forrest Whitaker when he, when he was, uh, you know, the host. Um, but nothing beats the original series, you know, the black and white, um, you know, so many great episodes, uh, the quality, you know, I think, it, you know, they, you know, they did the best that they could. And I think they did pretty damn good, uh, with what they had to work with. Um, you know, no matter, you know, what iteration it is, the, I always go back to the original series. That's the one that I love the most. Um, and staying into the sixties, uh, 2001, a space odyssey. Um, I didn't actually watch this movie until I was in my twenties. Like, I, I just remember asking my mom about it. She hated it. She thought it was terrible. So I, I, <laughs> I was, I was never allowed to like rent it. Um, and then, you know, I bought the DVD, um, in my twenties and I remember watching it and I kind of felt like, uh, oh, I can't remember the astronaut's name at the end of the movie, you know, like after he goes through the, the Dave Bowman. Dave Bowman, yeah. When 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 his eyes are like all like crazy and and he's just kind of like shaking there. That's how I felt at the end of that movie. I'm like, what did I just sit through? 
you know, and I had to watch it again because I was like, this just blew my mind. Um, and now it's easily one of my favorite movies of all time. I just, I love it. And I, and, and the sequel, uh, 2010, um, I think was great. Um, you know, I, I don't think, uh, it gets a lot of enough credit. Like, I think they did a really good job with that series. I, that, that is one science fiction series I would love to see redone because I would love to see 2061 and 3001, the final odyssey. I'd love to see all four of those made into, you know, maybe a series. Um, cause I would love to see Dave Bowman and, um, oh, the other guy, uh, man, I'm really drawing a blank. His partner, um, Frank Poole, Frank Poole. Yes. Because Frank, you know, spoilers on a book that came out like 30 years ago, Frank Poole comes back in 3001. Um, yeah. so, you know, I'd, I'd love, I'd love that continuity. Um, you know, to see that same actor that we, you know, saw die in 2001, come back a thousand years later. Um, of course the Flintstones, um, you know, summer holidays, that was lunchtime, you know, at 12 noon Flintstones were playing on our local CTV affiliate. Um, and yeah, usually you, you had soup and a grilled cheese or something like I know there's a meme floating out there and I got to even shared it and that that was our that was our noon tradition like on summer holidays uh or days you were sick you know you get to watch Flintstones at noon um and last but not least uh the original and I know this goes into the 70s uh the original Planet of the Apes film series again like the Twilight Zone you know like I know Tim Burton had the 2000 version is it 2000 2001 i can't remember 2000 and then the newer ones uh you know rise and all that i'm not not a super fan like they weren't terrible like the last three that they did they weren't terrible they were definitely better than tim burton's version um but nothing beats the original you know especially those uh first two movies um you know, especially at the end of number two, because I'm like, how can they make a third one? And then they do in such a goofy way, but yet it worked. I loved it as a kid. I was like, oh, okay. And then that ends tragically. I'm like, whoa. You know, like, the, this is getting uh, pretty dark, but I like it. Um, and, I mean, I didn't watch that until I was, like, ten years old. Um, so the whole spoilers... Um, you know, reveal of the Statue of Liberty. I remember just, like, my jaw dropping and being like, oh, my God. You know, what what's happening? You know, uh, what's happening here? Um, and I remember my mom saying, like, she went and saw it when she was a kid, like, her older... Like, when it actually came out in the theaters and, and my uncle took her to it. And she, I remember her saying she was scared of the, the gorillas. You know, like like, she was, like, frightened by them. Um, you know, gorillas riding horses, shooting people. Yeah, it's a pretty frightening image. Um, and like I said, I, none of the, uh, subsequent movies that they've tried, like the times they've tried rebooting this series, I don't think they've come close to comparing to the, the original, especially like with Rod Serling help, you know, helping to, uh, write the screenplay for, for the first movie. Um, and actually I... 
uh, have the audiobook of the original, you know, French novel by uh, Pierre Boulle. Um, so I am going to listen to that. I've never actually read the original novel or, or listened to it. So I'm going, you know, I'm going back and I'm going to be, uh, tackling that in the not too distant future. So yeah, the original Planet of the Apes. Uh, Michael, uh, do you have, uh, an, something else to, to talk about for round two of our, what we liked before we were born? Well, I'm I'm glad you mentioned the uh, the Rod Serling Planet of the Apes Twilight Zone connection because I was gonna I was gonna point that out, but uh, yeah, uh, both of those things are are things that I've loved. Mm-hmm. Um, the Twilight Zone, the original Twilight Zone, actually. Uh, now, if you know Mark Scott Zickery, uh, is a big fan of the the uh, original Twilight Zone, mm-hmm. and he's he's written the Twilight Zone Guide actually, and I interviewed him for the Dark Worlds. A quarterly magazine okay. uh, when he came out with the, uh, when he came out with the latest edition of that uh, uh, which has some uh, digital aspects to it uh, you know it's 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 a physical book but it also has some uh, some online content uh, to supplement it so he's a huge Twilight did, Zone fan did um, the, 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 the did the original book come out like in the mid 2000s yes okay yeah, so I, there's been I, several different versions of it yeah. okay I think I have that I'm pretty sure I got yeah. that one yeah. So, uh, um, yeah, but I mean, the, the so Twilight Zone, Rod Serling writing the original screenplay for Planet of the Apes, which is a movie that I've always loved. I, it came out a little, uh, it's still, when did it come out? Was it 65? Uh, 67 or 68? 68. One of those. I'm still, I'm still older than it, but obviously too young to see it in the theaters, but I did mm-hmm. see it on TV when it first came on to TV and I was absolutely you know, terrified of what was going to happen. You know, before the apes showed up, I thought I was hoping it was dinosaurs actually, because I was crazy about dinosaurs. But I do remember the <laughs> the apes showed up. It's like, okay, this is cool. I can handle this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and I was reading an article actually just earlier today about why you can't remake Planet of the Apes, uh, why Tim Burton's version failed, because the uh, one of the selling points of the Planet Planet of the Apes, the original Planet of the Apes, as you mentioned was the reveal at the end. It's a twist mm-hmm. ending. It's a shock ending. You know, you realize you he's there all the time. Uh, he's been he's been back all the time. He's been on Earth and he's not on another planet. This is actually Earth in the future. That's this huge shocking reveal. Um, and you can't do that again. Uh, you know, the cat's been let out of the bag. Um, and that was one of the reasons why they were saying that you can't have a um, a remake of um Soylent Green, yeah, uh, which is another Charlton Heston film, uh, based on the Harry Harrison novels *Make Room, Make Room*. The whole reveal of Soylent Green (spoiler alert if you haven't seen it) uh, Soylent Green is people. That's the the thing, and you can't really do that again without, you know, that reveal is is basically in the past, uh, and that's why the um, the the last iteration of the Planet of the Apes movies was so successful because they didn't bother with that. They didn't go for that. They they took the story in a completely different direction. Um, uh, which is why it was so successful. Um, you, you didn't it didn't rely on some sort of cheap shock ending, which the Tim Burton film uh, kind of tried to do with it, and it yeah. fell flat, as far yeah. as I'm concerned. But um, yeah, and oh, and it's funny you guys were talking about westerns, um, and I just before we move on, I just want to say, Kevin, you know, uh, it's funny. I, I the, one of the last covers I did, one of the most recent covers that I did uh, the artwork for was actually a Western. Um, I, I do books. There's a, a, an author named Joel Jenkins. Um, and he, uh, I do 
a lot of his covers. Uh, and the last he's written a book called he mostly writes thrillers and some post-apocalyptic kind of uh, uh, adventures. But uh, he actually has written some Westerns and his latest book is called Guns Against Temple. I think it's just been released. Uh, I was just able to reveal the cover not too long ago. So I think it's just brand new out there. But yeah, if you look up Joel Jenkins, there's a book called Guns Against Temple. And of course, I had to read the book in order to do the, the cover art. And I studied a lot of the old Louis L'Amour covers, you know, the paperbacks from the 70s. I wanted to give it that feel. Um, so, yeah, so I, I, I'm not a big fan of reading Westerns, but I, I, I do love the old paperback, you know, uh, Louis L'Amour and, and Max Brand and all those things and the way they look. They've got a specific language, a visual language to them, which I, I tried to sort of understand before I did this cover. So, um but I did read the book and I can recommend it. Uh, it's one of the few Westerns I have read. It's a brand new uh, book, but he's Joel Jenkins is a very talented writer. He lives in the Pacific Northwest. Um, Guns Against Temple is the, is the name of the book, and you can find it on, on Amazon. Cool. So uh, there you go. All right. I will definitely check that out for sure. Um, Kevin, do you have uh, something for round two that you liked before you were I, born? I you sorry i was looking at a very nice cover on amazon (laughs) so um i'm gonna balance this one with uh something scary and something pretty okay just just uh, even it out all right so growing up loving rock and metal music um and then getting into you know comics and sci-fi and stuff and wrestling as well I see the theatrics in rock and metal music. And one of the things that they've always done is have a boogeyman. Pretty much someone, someone to scare the parents. So as a child of the eighties, honestly, D Snyder twisted sister was a big one. Uh, Marilyn Manson later on and all, but then as I do, as I go backwards and then get into, you know, before I was born, um, Kiss coming out looking all all scary and mm-hmm. the, to see the the original articles on it, it. What was it? It means knights and Satan service. No, it doesn't. It's four guys that love comics, rock and roll, and women. That's all this. <laughs> um, Alice Cooper, you know, to just have his, uh, you know, oh he. He gets electrocuted on stage and he's, you know, uh, eating babies or whatever. I'm like, it's a show and people are freaking out about this. Like, they don't, they're not in on the joke. Mm-hmm. Ozzy Osbourne in Black Sabbath as well. But then the further back I go, this one got me. So the artist is called Arthur Brown. And the big song is The God of Hellfire. <laughs> All right, you're laughing. Are you familiar with this one? Yeah. All right. So, I mean, he comes out and he has fire and like Satan horns, and it's just like, I am the god of hellfire, and it's it's in black and white on some like European music show. I'm like, how did everyone not lose their minds when this came out? How was this not like? You know, parents and, and everyone just shutting it down. When Elvis is getting shut down for shaking his hips, how is this guy not, like, burned at the stake? 
Yeah. I was just amazed. And then I thought, how did I not know about him beforehand too? So I started like, you know, getting into it and, um, uh, finding YouTube clips and everything. I'm like, this is amazing to just see someone putting it all out there for it and somehow just forgotten about since. And, and he's, he'll be listed as like, um, experimental rock, psychedelic rock and all. I'm like, no, it's early heavy metal. Like maybe it's not the same, you know, guitar and drums, but like attitude wise, this is early heavy metal Mm -hmm. for sure. It's amazing. Super scary, super fun. Uh, like, I'm loving it. But to balance out with something pretty. Now, uh, a, a podcast I listen to will refer to people as height of their powers. So it'll be something like, uh, oh, Pam Anderson on Baywatch. That's the height of her powers. Like, she, that's the prettiest that she ever was. And, you know, she was an icon for that. And and that's the image that we all have in mind. Mm-hmm. So, so for height height of her powers, I watched a little movie from 1967 starring Raquel Welch called Fathom, and it is most likely an excuse to have her in various bikinis throughout the movie <laughs> as she goes from one situation to another. But she in this movie. She is arguably the most beautiful woman on the planet at that time. Just stunning. And it's pretty much like a a trash, generic attempt at some sort of James Bond, you know, spy adventure thing. But it's horrible. (laughs) It's really just an excuse of, like, how often can we get this pretty girl on camera and try to come up with some sort of plot around it? Like, even the MacGuffin changes what it is halfway through the movie. As if, as if the scriptwriters forgot to just look back in their script and remember what they had written previously. <laughs> Doesn't matter. And I found it interesting because growing up when I did, and you see certain people on like game shows or as a guest on a talk show, and it's like, who is this person? Why are they on there? Well, they're on there because, you know, I asked my mom, my grandmother, whoever at the time. Well, they're on there because they're famous. I'm like, all right, who, who the hell's this? But then you see these people, how they got famous, why they got famous. Granted, Hollywood allowed them because they were dropped dead gorgeous and nothing else mattered. And to go back and see some of these people when they were the icons, and and honestly, old enough now to see it happen all over again. You know, they're they're people that my kid is going to look at. Why why is this person on TV? Why is this person famous? Why does this person have a reality show? And I'm like, well, because 20 years ago, people gave a shit about them. That's why. (laughs) And they're hoping people, some people still do. But um, to dive down for like people that were icons in that way and just absolutely beautiful, but before I was born, so I never saw it. Mm -hmm. Um. Like, I had someone going through my DVD collection. They're like, why do you have Elizabeth Taylor movies? Yep. And I pulled out Taming of the Shrew. I'm like, you see two people fall, maybe not in love, but in lust, while filming this movie. And she is gorgeous. And I know for people around my age, we remember her for, like, her White Diamonds commercial. And that's Mm -hmm. about it. Yeah. But for what she was beforehand beautiful great actress just stunning 
and I can't deep dive into like golden age of Hollywood and all that stuff, but I find it fun to like, let me see. <laughs> I'm not meaning sound like a total creeper here, but like, Oh, let me see who was pretty back then. Mm-hmm. Let me see who was considered, you know, like people's most beautiful woman or, or whatever the heck back then. Yeah. And it's just so interesting to see the beauty, um, standards and and what people are into and and the looks and everything that has happened along the way mm-hmm. and just you know a, a nice counterbalance to scary music too yeah i i remember watching a movie with my grandma and grandpa with with uh elizabeth taylor and i didn't realize it was her like i mean this was black and white you know and I remember just thinking that actress was absolutely beautiful. And then, yeah, it was kind of mind-blowing to think, oh, yeah, that's Elizabeth Taylor. Yeah, I remember her from those commercials. Um, and also, I think she's the same age as my grandma, or, or was. Um, but speaking of, you know, uh, of that, I remember um, when I was a kid, uh, we used we used to live in a, a trailer court that had like an early version of cable TV. Like we had two extra channels besides CBC and CTV. Um, So sometimes we would get the Disney channel. And I remember watching the Mickey Mouse Club. Um, It was black and white. and, And at the time when I was a kid, I didn't realize this was like an old recording. Like I assumed it was new. Like it was like happening now. And I remember uh, Annette Funicello. I remember, you know, as a, as a kid, just having the biggest crush on her. And uh, and then my heart getting broken when my mom revealed that this is a recording from like 30 years ago. And Annette Funicello was like my grandma's age. <laughs> and I remember just my, you know, my mind being blown and my heart breaking you, at the same time. You, you were like a Kinks song. You were like Pictures of Lily. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, but anyway, uh, so we'll go one more round. Um, oh, we got to go to Lillian. Oh, right, Lillian. Sorry. Uh, finish up round Hi. two, please. Sorry about that, Lillian. Okay. Um, it's okay. It is. Okay, I've been happily enjoying and just being like, man, I feel you guys. I got you. Um, and I started thinking, I was like, okay, so if we were to go backwards and different things, um, there's there's way too big of a list. Uh, but I think of stuff like um, Murder She Wrote, which came out, I think I think in 1984, <laughs> actually. <laughs> um, and so, uh, like shows like that, that's what started my obsession with murder mysteries and and stuff that so much television MacGyver um, that I so all of this stuff that I could only watch when I was old because at the time it was airing on TV and my mom would record it um, and we had all these VHS's laying around with just everything on them just everything um, and you know it's funny uh, someone had mentioned James Bond and my mom I remember when I was uh, I was 11 was I 11? It was, I think I was 11 they did like this marathon this marathon of James Bond. And my mom recorded as much of it as she could. And now she, like she even said to me last week, I can't believe I let you guys watch that. <laughs> uh, 
And I'm like, but I loved it. I didn't care if it was cheesy or anything like that. It was just my childhood. Is It was made up of James Bond and then all these old shows like Murder, She Wrote that we were allowed to watch. Oh, Matt Love Mason, Mystery Monday, all of that. Um, and it's, it's, it, it was just so much fun. And um, when I think of basically everything that is my favorite, like that makes me feel happy. Like remember when we were doing our top tens, like mm-hmm. – favorite ending like season finale mash there you go way before i was ever born yep. but all these shows that were just so good um and i'm a huge film nerd and i'm a huge tv nerd and most of my favorite shows are not i can appreciate film nowadays but i can definitely say that because i've watched so much of the old stuff it's a lot of you know you could only do so many plot lines so many ways um and that's definitely one of the things when I think of some of my favorite TV shows and movies, whether it's sci-fi or, you know, murder or something like mystery wise or thriller. Um, it's, it's really, it was well done once upon a time and now we're just redoing it. Mm-hmm. But, oh, mad love to those shows so much. Excellent. All right. Well, let's kick off the final round of things that, uh, we like before we yeah, Murder, She Wrote did come out in 1984. It was a good year. I was born. Nice. Jessica Fletcher. That's, yeah, that's a good comfort show. I, I used to love watching that with my grandma. Um, but, yeah, you mentioned MASH, so I wanted to quickly throw that out there. Um, okay, so uh, MASH premiered in 1972, the TV series. Um, and then it went to 83. So it ended when I was born, but I never actually watched it until I was like 1991. Um, or no, maybe it was 89. It was when we moved to our acreage because then we got a, this other channel, which is now Global Edmonton. Um, and they used to air MASH reruns uh, at 6.30 every night. So I started watching it. So yeah, it started before I was born. But I never, and it ended after I was born, but I never actually watched it until, you know, the late 80s. Um, and Alan Alda, like, you know, I, uh, I just recently seen him in the Ray Donovan movie. Um, and I, I just love, I just love it when he pops up um, in anything. Like when he was on the, the blacklist, I, I really like that. Um, but yeah, MASH, I love it. Um, and then also, of course, Star Wars. You know, the original Star Wars trilogy started in 1977, so it was three years before I was born. Ended in 83, like MASH. But uh, those movies, of course, uh, with Star Trek helped uh, with my love of science fiction. Um, but for this, uh, the last round, uh, I just wanted to really uh, throw out there that... Uh, uh, thanks to my parents, in particular my mom, I have a huge love for uh, classic rock, uh, which I know nowadays like Nirvana is considered classic rock. But my idea of classic rock is stuff like, you know, from the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Um, again, 1977, uh, you know, same year that uh, Star Wars premiered, uh, Meatloaf Bad Out of Hell, you know, is one of my favorite albums of all time um and of course you know me uh mr loaf just died not too long ago um unfortunately um 
but yeah, you know, this topic really got me thinking about, uh, you know, all the old classic rock that I love. Like I, I love Elvis, uh, Elvis Presley, um, not Costello. Um, not that I hate Elvis Costello, but, um, I, 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 I don't know when people say Elvis, they think of Presley, most people, but there is the odd person that will think of Costello. Uh, so it's Elvis Presley. Um, and you know, the Beatles, like I still have to watch that documentary they, they did on Disney plus, which I'm, I'm told is very good. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I really appreciate the Beatles queen. Um, you know, they got their start in the early seventies. You know, they are my favorite band. Um, uh, funny little total side squirrel invasion. My 17 year old, sure. um, mm-hmm. he just suddenly, a uh, friend of his just obsessed with queen. Awesome. So now my 17 year old listens to queen every night before he goes to bed. That's awesome. Um, yeah, well, well, when the movie Bohemian Rhapsody came out, I really got, I really delved into their albums and stuff. Um, and I know my wife was getting really annoyed with it because we were always listening to Queen anytime we went anywhere. Um, but I was like going album through, you know, album from an album, right? And, um, you know, they have so many good albums, um, you know, and arguably, you know, the best, um, was made before I was born. Um, and also another one, another one of my favorite bands, ACDC, you know, they got their start before I was born. Uh, but you know, so many artists do. And, and, and it's funny as I get older, you know, like I remember like growing up, um, kind of like, like what you were saying, Kev, like with Westerns and stuff, like it just wasn't, um, in my wheelhouse at the time. My my grandparents used to listen to a lot of uh, old country, you know, like Johnny Cash. I actually I don't think they listen to Johnny Cash, but you know, like that type of genre uh, of country music. And now I really like that, you know. I I especially love Johnny Cash. Like he's, you know, fantastic. Um, but the old, you know, like just I remember like, um. As a kid, they used to have a local uh, Opry that they would have once a month at the Legion. And I remember going a few times with, you know, like I, I was forced to go, you know, with my mom. And I remember just being bored and, you know, having to listen to all these old country bands, you know, you know, bands play and watching, you know, um, you know, people square dance and stuff like that. And now I wish they still had that. Like I would go to those if they, you know, like they don't exist anymore because unfortunately that generation is is gone now. Um, but I miss that old music, you know? Um, and I, and it's, you know, I didn't appreciate it at the time. I, I really didn't. Um, like I like I'm sure you know like that I like I know they have you know festivals and stuff and like you know you can go to but um I just miss going to the local legion and just and just listening to these old time bands you know watching my you know because uh, my grandpa would get on stage and play the fiddle because uh, he he was actually part of a he had a band uh, that with some of his friends they were called the Shaggy Nappy Pioneers and. Um, I used to, yeah. I, I mean, I did like their music, of course, um, but I didn't really appreciate the music until they were gone. Um, so yeah, 
you know, I, I, I miss it's that. something I actually had a discussion recently with a Legion member about the fact that going to the Legion or the Elks Hall or something like that is definitely yeah. it's not something that happens anymore. Like, um, and I don't know how I don't know how they would end up reaching a younger audience just because it's not. You know, a lot of it was service people that had gone mm-hmm. and they'd been involved yeah. in things that our, our young people never will. Like for my kids, yep. they wouldn't think of joining up to like, I mean, well, when, with, my kids were in air cadets. So like mm-hmm. we've been involved with the Legion forever. Yeah. But even then, it's just it's not the same. No. And I think it's something that they're missing out on because it was one heck of a sense of community. Definitely. It was. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, um you know, like our our local legion used to have the Opry once a month, and um, but now really, like honestly, the only time I go to the legion is for funerals. You know, like it's ugh, you know, yeah, um, it's unfortunate. Um, like I like I'm actually like I have a legion membership. I'm uh, where I grew up. It's a small t- community called Fort Assiniboine, and. Um, that's where where I have my my legion membership at. I don't have it at the town I live in. Even though we have a legion here, um, I, I am still a member of my original community's legion. And yeah, like I, like I don't, you know, like they have a bingo. Like my mom goes to bingo every second week, but I hate bingo. I loathe it, so I don't go. Um, but you know. I, I, I just miss that old time music, you know, and, uh, whenever, you know, like I hear of something like when they have a little, you know, concert or whatever, I try and go to those, you know, when tried and sport local, but yeah, there's something missing, you know, like I want to say since the mid nineties, late nineties, it's not the same anymore, but anyway, on that depressing note, uh, Michael, uh, yeah. what, what's on your, uh, list for this final round? Well, actually, first off, a couple of notes that came up because of what you guys were talking about. Lillian, uh, you ta- mentioned your 17 year old is now into queen. My daughter, when she was 17 years old, she got her iPod and she had her iTunes. Um, and so she was getting music from everywhere. She was grabbing music from, from me, from my, my, her uncles, um, and she comes to me once when she was 17. She says, Dad, there's this great song that I just discovered. You've got to hear it. And I said, OK, OK, let's listen to it. So she plays it. And it's The Sound of Silence by Simon and Garfunkel. <gasps> and I'm oh, like, yep. Yep. That is a great song. Mm-hmm. It is a good song. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, uh, I don't know if you know this from 1984, The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. Have you seen that? Well, yes. OK, mm-hmm. that's one of the greatest cult films ever. <laughs> not before I was so born, but, but from the year you were born. I remember seeing it in the theaters um, when it was for, in its first run. Um, but for my pick for this round, my favorite movie from before I was born, there was a filmmaker called Ed Wood Jr. And most people know him for, for his, his masterpiece of terrible movie making, um, Plan 9 from Outer Space. But my favorite film of his was actually Glenn or Glenda. This is from 1953. This was uh, Bill Lugosi um, in his dotage, uh, you know, addicted to morphine, uh, would do Ed Wood's movies because Ed Wood loved him. And, uh, you know, they he was the only one who would employ him, frankly. But um, Glenn or Glenda is this semi-documentary, this sort of mockumentary uh, film about how – 
uh, Ed Wood Jr. Um, it's a, it's a it's it's incredibly progressive now. It was weird way back when, and people didn't like it. But it's all about basically transvesticism. Uh, it's about how some women feel or some men feel more comfortable as women. And um, it, of course, you know, was an apology for uh, um, Ed Wood's own tendency towards you know uh, transvestism. Transvestivism. Um, but it's it's um, it's a bizarre film. And it's one of my favorite. I absolutely love it. And it's actually, you know, probably gotten a more a better reception now than it than it ever has uh, because of its it's, um, you know, very positive. Uh, I mean, for 1953, incredibly positive LGBTQ message. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, Glenn or Glenda, uh, very strange movie, puts me in mind of some of the more weird excesses of David Lynch. Mm-hmm. Um but, of course, Ed Wood was not trying to be avant-garde the way Lynch was, but he just couldn't help it because that's just the way he saw the world. That's the way he made movies. Um, that's, I've actually just written that down because I'm like, that sounds interesting, especially since um, we don't talk like that anymore. We don't use that ter- uh, term really anymore. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, exactly. That's why this is such a strange artifact because – I mean, and it actually does mention – you know the, the 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 very first sex change, um, mm-hmm. in a try in a very positive way. Um, I mean it's it's couched in the language of the fifties, um, and it's made with the film language of the nineteen fifties. And yet at the same time, it's very progressive <laughs> in a weird way. Um, so yeah, it it is a very strange cultural artifact, but but it's one that I love dearly. I like uh, that you call it a cultural artifact. I think I'm stealing that term. Okay, um, <laughs> Edward. Was out, an outside, Hollywood outsider who made his own movies. Yep. He basically made his way. He was independent cinema before there was indie cinema. And I actually wrote an article for um, uh, Amazing Stories years back uh, where I said basically all of us today, we are all Ed Wood now. Um, Ed Wood basically stole a camera. He did what he, you know, he, he grabbed whatever resources he could find. Then he made movies just because he wanted to. We do that, too, with our mm-hmm. iPhones. With our with our uh, with the podcast with this podcast we don't we're not on radio we're not I mean I I used to be on radio um, we're not this is not radio this is podcast this is people just doing it on their own because they want yep. to yep. you are creating a show because you want to you are Ed Wood you are keeping the spirit of Ed Wood alive when you do things like this and I think that's amazing I think that's wonderful that's independent entertainment um, for the 21st century excellent um. All right, uh, Kevin, uh, next up for you on this uh, final round. Okay. So, I don't know about the rest of you, but I know that sometimes I get stuck with uh, one radio station during my commutes, and then I get sick of it because I start to know their uh, attitudes and their playlist, and I can expect songs before they play. Yeah. Um, I should be able to drive a half hour without hearing Red Hot Chili Peppers, and yeah, every time. <laughs> Going to work and coming home, there's always at least one Chili Pepper song. <laughs> uh, so I started flipping through radio stations, just trying to find anything else in my area. In the mornings, I landed on uh, NPR, I, 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 which, apologies for my ignorance, I don't know if you guys have a version of NPR of public radio in Canada. Um, it's called the CBC. <laughs> okay. <laughs> CBC Pretty much, radio. yeah. It's in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. um, so during the day, it, it's news, and then it's random uh, 
shows and, you know, sometimes it's comedy, sometimes it's interviews, but it was a nice break from music. Then I get in my car at like 10, 11 at night, turn on the radio and it's no longer NPR, it's old radio shows. Mm-hmm. I thought, oh my God, I remember discovering a channel that had these when I was like 13 or something too. And then the station just kind of went away. So now here I am in a different town and all a different radio station. And I enjoyed hearing that more so than other stuff. And someone I worked with at the time I mentioned it, he's, and he's like, Oh my God, I was listening to it too. So here we are in like at the time, 2017, 2018, both discussing radio shows that were probably like 50, 60 years old at least Mm -hmm. that we both happened to be listening to on our way to work for it. But I just started falling in love with it and then looking for like old cassettes of it. You know, anytime I was out, I got a list going of ones that I enjoyed so much and I was trying to find them online to just listen to them again and, and, and see certain plot points and all for it. Uh, Coincidentally, there was a Western one. One, well, yeah, there were Western, tons of Western radio shows, mm-hmm. but it was called uh, "Westward the Women," and it was a, a group of men were supposed to escort these women um, to the West Coast to, you know, find husbands and everything. And most of the men quit the first couple of days and just leave the women stranded. So the women got to pull everything together on their own to survive this journey across the country. And it was amazing to hear on the radio and there was violence and there was death and there was sex and there was all this. And I'm like, I can't believe they got away with all this when this originally aired. This is amazing. Found out there was a movie for it, too, which I grabbed right away. Um, there was a horror one, uh, you know, suspense or, or thriller, whatever it was called. Uh, a woman is having an affair. The man's hiding in the closet. Her husband comes into the room, and the tension just builds and builds and builds of will the uh, other man be discovered in the closet and then what actually happens blew my mind and I'm I'm sitting there in car thinking this this is the freakiest thing I've ever heard it got yeah. to the point where I would pull in the driveway and text my then wife and say I have to finish listening to the show I'm sorry <laughs> I'll, I'll be up in a couple minutes but I have to know how this ends and for stuff like that to hold up I mean I was aware of like the Superman radio show and and stuff like that, like the the quote kids ones, but I never expected as an adult to have such a level of drama to every to this and and for it to hold up. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing is, with all the podcasts I listen to, I've never gotten into the podcasts the the modern ones that do the same exact thing, and I don't know why. There's just something about the age of it, the quality of it, just mm-hmm. how they go about it. That's more entertaining. And also, cause now I got into it. I'm like, okay, every night I want to turn this on, you know? Um, and then they had the comedy shows. So there was old, uh, Burns and Allen shows on there. I'm thinking, Oh my God, these two are so funny together. Like this is absolutely brilliant. Mm-hmm. 
and it upsets you to see like and yet i watched garbage today (laughs) for a lot of shows and this is just some of the most high quality stuff and it's just sitting here forgotten about i mean i think that's part of like my own blogging and podcast and everything else is there's so much fun stuff that just gets no attention Mm -hmm. and it could be brand new stuff or it could be stuff that's been around for decades that people just forget about and watch apologies to any listeners or or any of you although i don't think it'll be any of you but like no let's watch the kardashians for season after season Mm -hmm. and then all this really good stuff gets ignored yep insane but yeah that was one of the like for for finally having a car and driving around and all that was one of the best discoveries I've ever had. Nice. Yeah. You should check out archive.org. Oh, that that's where I found quite yeah, a few. Yeah, and actually I'm I'm not on the same computer. I got I got tabs open on another computer. Um just a side note here. Uh Coworker and I were talking about Harlan Ellison today, mm-hmm. um, and he said, "Oh, did you ever see Harlan on this comic book documentary?" And my ears perked up. So it was called uh, like the Masters of Comic Book Art or something like that. So Harlan's the narrator, but Steve Ditko's on it, Jack Kirby's on it, Neil Adams is on it. Mm-hmm. Um, all these artists are on it, and it was apparently like a VHS that I guess my coworker had and is long gone. Um, but I found one on archive.org. Like someone did a, a rip of the VHS of it. And and then we got down a tangent and we we're talking about uh, the Frazetta documentary. I think it's called Painting with Fire. Painting with Fire, yeah. Yep, so that's on archive.org as well. Mm-hmm. And I know there's a gray area for some stuff on archive. And I know there's been legal proceedings at times for it but my attitude for a lot of this stuff is if the copyright holder is not doing anything to make it easily accessible to people then let it be an archive Mm -hmm. if this is out of permit not on a streaming service not available to buy you know by any means brand new then let someone upload it on their own for all the people that want to see it because they're not taking any money away from you because you're not offering it (laughs) Yep. Yeah, agreed. Um, I I think it was last year, maybe the year before, I did a rewatch of Babylon 5. And I didn't realize until I was doing this rewatch, because like the first couple seasons at the end of the credits, you know, they'd have someone come on and say, you know, Babylon 5, produced by Babylonian Productions, Inc., in association with Warner Brothers, domestic television distribution. And for whatever reason, when I did that rewatch, it clicked in my head. I'm like, that's Harlan Ellison saying that. And this whole, you know, all those years watching Babylon 5, like I knew he was a creative consultant on Babylon 5, but I didn't realize he was the guy talking at the end of the credits until whatever reason, like I was rewatching it and it just clicked in my brain. I was like, that's Harlan Ellison. Um, but yeah, sure. Sure. Do miss Harlan. Um, Lillian, what do you have for this final round of what you liked before you were born? 
All right. So this one is dedicated to books. Um, so I, I, I mean, I think all of us under like, there's a lot of stuff that came out before I was around, whether it's comic books, like just the very, you know, the, the origins of Batman, uh, mm-hmm. Superman, all those, I mean, mad love. Um, and, but when it comes to books, I love a long list of them. So we're just going to, uh, start with, you know, Anne of Green Gables, mad, I love it so much. I love that story. Canadian. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. I'll have to have it. Like things that mandatorily need to be on my bookshelf at all times. Uh, Stephen King, um, Tom Clancy, totally obsessed. Uh, Bernard Cornwell, the sharp series. If you've never read it, please do. If you haven't watched the series, it stars a very, very young and very pretty. Um, Sean Bean. Thank you. I had a moment. I'm like literally staring at Odo. And he survives like, every episode. He does. He does survive. Um, He's a star. It's so good. I ended up finding most of the books. Someone was giving them away in a garage sale, and I actually gave them like they they were a gift to my ex husband, and he said I could borrow them so I could reread them. I was like, thank you. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, Tolkien, uh, C.S. Lewis, all these things, just just. So formative, so beautiful, so well written. Um, I do enjoy local, like new authors. I'm a huge fan of writers. I just think they're amazing. Um, but those, that, that's kind of like where my heart is. Is those, those old books? Every, like everything. Um, Agatha Christie. Uh, if I see a book, I'm like, I don't care. I have to own it. <laughs> it's mine. I think I actually have uh, too many copies. Uh, I think I actually have two copies of a couple of her stories just because I always forget in the moment if I own it or not. And if Mm. I see it at a book sale, it's like, yoink, (laughs) you are mine. Um, But I need, unfortunately, a house with a proper book room. That's Mm -hmm. my dream. Me too. Someday. Yeah. (laughs) So, but uh, when I thought of old things that I loved before I was born, it was like old film, television, books. Really nails it right there. Um, but especially when it comes to those old ones, like the Sharp series, or um, you know, the Sharp series isn't that old, and Bernard Cornwell is still writing. Yeah, but it's older than me. Okay, all right. <laughs> when did they come out? Now I have to go look this up. Okay, um, when did he write them? Oh, it's funny. He actually, uh, his sharp novels inspired my. I have a series. Eighty-one. Yeah. Okay. Eighty-one. Well, that's that predates you. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Sharp was inspired by uh, C.S. Forrester's Hornblower series. So those are those are very those are so older than me. Good. But, but um, Sharp, the Sharp series actually inspired. I, as Jack McKenzie writes a series, well, two novels featuring a character called Jefferson Odette. They're military science fiction. But <laughs> mine, Jack McKenzie's Debt novels were actually inspired by by Cornwell's Sharp novels. Oh, Hornblower! Now I need to go watch that. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. Uh, a book series that I've been thinking about cracking into one of these years. Is yeah, the Horatio Hornblower. And um, uh, Master and Commander. Um, Patrick uh, O'Brien. Yes, yes, that series. Um, mm-hmm. You know, because I, like, I know, um, you know, Gene Roddenberry was quoted as, like, apparently he told Patrick Stewart 
uh, when Patrick Stewart was like, you know, what do I, you know, is there anything I can read to, you know, get in the mindset of, of this Picard character? And Gene Roddenberry said, read Horatio Hornblower. That's all you need to know. Mm-hmm. So I've been, been, you know, and I mean, I love the ocean. I love, you know, movies that are set on ships like, like Master and Commander. You know, I, 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 I love well, Master and Commander is my favorite Star Trek movie. Yes. Yes. It's my favorite in the Star Trek series. That if if only they would have adapted that for space, it would have been perfect as a Star Trek movie. But yeah, no, it's it's fantastic. Yeah, I always tell people my favorite Star Trek movies are Master and Commander and Galaxy Quest. <laughs> oh my yes. god. And you would not be wrong. They are, they are definitely better than any next generation movie they did. That's for sure. Or JJ Abrams. But anyway, um yeah, no, uh, yeah, I've been meaning to to delve into that, you know, the the deep sea adventures. Um, but anyway, this was uh, fantastic. Everyone, thank you for con- uh, contributing to this topic. But let's move on to our next segment, which is brain candy. So for this segment, we uh, discuss things that we are watching, lit, reading, listening to, whatever whatever we got on the go at, at the moment um, that uh, is feeding our brain. And if you want, you can make it a pick or a pan, you know, uh, if it's something you really love, you know, that's great. If it's something that you want to warn people not to invest their time in, that's also appreciated too. Um so Lillian, why, why don't you kick off Brain Candy this this episode? Woohoo! Okay, so um, things I have watched. Uh, my husband and I binge watched the new Reacher series on Amazon. You liked um, it, and I know that we had. Oh my god! <laughs> oh, I ended up messaging Ragnar, being like, "You need to go watch this now, please now." Uh, and, um, and then he was like, "A yeah." I know he. I know he messaged me. I, I haven't watched it yet, but Ragnar messaged me. He's like, "You gotta watch this show." Yeah, it's so it, it, it is so good. Um, it is everything that Tom Cruise movie isn't. Um, it is sassy, <laughs> hilarious, so much fun. My husband and I literally just sat and just every now and then we just stare at each other and be like, "Oh my god, <laughs> so good!" Awesome. <laughs> Oh, it was just, it's just fun. It is just a level of fun that I swear was exactly what it was meant to be. Um, and thoroughly loved it. Oh, mwah, chef's gifts. Beautifully done, darling. Um, I did end up uh, as well. There is, uh, English just went bye-bye. Um, I did tick off the first uh, for and it's funny because you had mentioned that we would be touching it with our New Year's resolutions. So I have oh, read right. my first yeah. comic of the year, um, and so I was like, you know, we're going to start with I have to start with a number one. We're going to start with something I love, and so I went and found uh, it's a Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It's the last Slayer comic where she's old and uh, oh. vampires have taken over the world. Hmm. And I thoroughly loved it. And so I've got number two that I have to read. Um, and I also am reading, I still haven't finished Michael Crichton's timeline, which my husband threw at me to go finish for the book club thingy that I'm doing for 50 books in the year. Um, and let me see what else is my done. I think I've watched way too much use. Netflix is just coming out with shows that are 
entertaining and yet at the same time i don't think of them really as anything new like we're watching titans right now Mm. um and when i got my nails done a week ago it was funny because i ended up educating my nail tech about the fact there are five robins because in the titans episode we have just finished watching we just met the third robin um and she kind of blinked at me and i was like okay let me give you a backstory into the character of robin and why they all who they all are um so we're binging we're working on titans right now what else are we watching it's about it isn't it we finished reacher we got titans and supernatural that's it yeah so that's kind of our our main three right now and other than that that's me in a nutshell all right um go watch reacher yes i'm that is on my list to do uh michael uh what do you have uh, for this episode for brain candy well, I agree with with uh, Lillian about Reacher. I love Reacher, the TV series. I haven't watched the movies. I read exactly one Lee Child novel. I didn't care much for it. But the TV series is fantastic. And the guy who plays Reacher, uh, whose name escapes me at the moment, who was actually on Titans. He played uh, um, uh, da- Hawk. Hawk. There was Hawk and Dove. The yeah, he played Hawk. And he played Hawk, he, yeah. And he was fantastic in that. He has a beautiful was, wall of meat. Like yes. <laughs> when, when they describe Reacher as supposed to be a tall... Yeah. That's yes. Uh, yeah, okay, my husband's like he's only six three, and I'm like, BD is a six three foot tall of. <laughs> and and a lot of people are saying a lot of people saying the actor would be perfect for a character who, again, is from way before uh, any of us were born, and, and that was uh, Doc Savage. There was a, mm. uh, an old pulp character called Doc Savage. Yeah. And people are saying he would make a perfect Doc Savage, and it's yeah. true he would. Um, what I'm watching right now though is uh, Peacemaker. Um, I'm one of the I'm one of the few big fans of the James Gunn Suicide Squad movies. I thought they were hilarious. I love them. And mm-hmm. Peace, Peacemaker with John Cena as the character is is kind of a continuation of that How hilarious show. Huh? What was that? Are you, you're enjoying it? I am. I am enjoying it immensely because it's stupid. <laughs> it's so. Oh, well, I've had my eye on it, but I'm like I haven't heard a single person talk about it, and I normally trust the humans I know, and I'm like, well. See, I, I I love it. It's it's goofy. It's stupid. It's mm-hmm. it's it's you know. But I'm I'm in, thoroughly enjoying it. Um. So yeah, pick that. That's a pick. Um. A pan for me. Although I've heard a lot of two people talking about it was um the book of Boba Fett. I stopped after episode two, uh, mm-hmm. and I thought you know people are going to be what I what my impression of that was that you know people are going to be saying uh, what I did to told people is be careful what you wish for. Everyone wanted a Boba Fett series, and this is what they got. Is that you know be careful what you wish for. It's yeah. like you know don't don't ever meet your heroes. And that's exactly what's happening with Boba Fett. I I will eventually watch it because I've heard a lot of people say that it's, you know, opinions divided on it. um, And and of course, I'm looking forward. It's only just started up. And I know Chris and I will probably disagree about this, but I'm a big fan of Star Trek Discovery. And that's uh, season, the back half of of, uh, the season is is starting up soon. So that's what I'm looking forward to because I've been enjoying that. It's, well, you have to agree with Discovery. The first season was finding its feet and had its issues, but after that, it took off. It got good. <laughs> so yes. good. Especially now that they're in the, you know, whatever century is. Nope, spoilers. I haven't gotten there. My hubby and I haven't finished season three yet. We need to do that of Discovery. I need my Saru. But no, it's you're not alone in this group of people... If they don't like Discovery too bad, you got me in your corner. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. No, it, 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 it's all good to like Discovery. Like if you like Star Trek and you, and, and you, you're enjoying it, 
you know, that that's great. It's it's just not for me. Mm-hmm. Although yeah. I, well, I, I I feel the same way about that new one, uh, that Nickelodeon one. Oh, um, uh, prod prodigy. Yeah, prodigy. It's, yeah. I I love Star Trek, but I just can't do that. Yeah. I mean, there's there's things that I I, I like about it. Like I love Saru. I think uh, Doug Jones is amazing. Doug I, Jones is someone I would I love, love to I love meet. Doug Jones. I love Tilly. Um, you know, uh, mm-hmm. I, I I like me a feisty redhead. I can't I can't help it. And I think she's she, I think she's absolutely beautiful. Um, and uh, Anson Mount, you know, like he was so oh, yeah. perfectly cast as as Pike. Um. <laughs> But, you know, you know, to, to each their own, you know, like I know like there's people that love the J.J. Abrams movies. They're not, I don't. Uh, but I mean, it's like with anything, like, honestly, it's, it's like, I, I love the Incredible Hulk as, as a character, as a comic book series, but I don't love every series that he's been in that, you know, depending on who's creating it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I did want to touch on a couple. Like I'll go next. Uh, there's a couple things I wanted to touch on. I agree with you, Michael, about Peacemaker. I didn't see the most recent episode, um, but I, I love it. It's so funny, and John Cena is, you know, he makes me laugh. It, it, it's I, the way I, w- I would compare it to if you like Deadpool, you would like Peacemaker. It, you know, the the hu- humor is very similar. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, and then the book of Boba Fett, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, and I know some people didn't like it, you know, cause you know, well, um, they wanted, uh, Boba Fett to be, you know, this badass bounty hunter. But unfortunately the thing of it is, is I also realized that Disney owns Star Wars now. So you're not going to see, you know, really dark things coming out of Disney. Um, oh God. Can, can you imagine hearing that word, those that phrase, back in 1977? Star, the, <laughs> Disney uh, owns Star Wars now. It's yeah, my mind. Um, <laughs> but you no, know. I still can't get over the fact that Microsoft and them are fighting, and uh, people, uh, everybody owns everybody now. Like, mm-hmm. it's just. Yep. Um, but yeah, with with the book of Boba Fett. Um, you know, a lot of people, oh, I wanted to see a badass bounty hunter, but I also wanted to see that in the Mandalorian, but it became a different show, like, you know, right at the end of the first episode. Um, and I liked it. I liked where they went with, with the Mandalorian. Um, the book of Boba Fett, um, I, I, I enjoyed, I'm enjoying what they're doing. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't like everything about it. Um. But, I mean, these last few episodes, like, I know, like, there's a joke, like, episode five and six, where Boba Fett is kind of like just a, he does cameos in his own show, because he's not actually in those episodes very much, almost not at all. Um, But I loved it. I, you know, like, I loved what the choices that they made, I loved what they did, and especially the uh, season finale. You know, my own, again, this is because Disney owns Star Wars. My only complaint is I would love there to be like a cliffhanger or some sort of, you know, real threat of danger, but you don't really get that with, with, you know, these, uh, it's not just Star Wars, but the Marvel properties as well from Disney, because they always want to have it end on a positive note. Um, but you know, I, I, I really enjoyed Book, Book of Boba Fett, um, 
you know, like they definitely did pay some fan service in a good way, I think. Um, because I, you know, one of the things I always hated about the original trilogy, uh, with Return of the Jedi was how Bubba Fett was taken out, you know, like, like such a, like a, like a chump. Uh, but to see him fight back and, and survive the Sarlacc was, was so cool to see on, on film. Finally. You know, and I'm glad they did that because they could have just brushed it off and, you know, we wouldn't have seen it. We just knew that he somehow survived. Uh, which is kind of what happened with the Mandalorian, but I love the fact that they actually showed it, and um, you know I kind of felt the redeem that character. Uh, I especially like these last couple episodes where uh, we get uh, a character from the Clone Wars uh, show up in live action, mm-hmm. and and, and I w- they're so pretty. Well, <laughs> and and. The, it's it's so well done. Like it, it, Book of Boba Fett. You know, one thing I love about Star Wars is it takes a lot of uh, different tropes. Uh, you know, like like it'll take uh, inspirations from westerns. It'll take inspirations from samurai movies, that sort of thing. The Book of Boba Fett, especially the last couple episodes, really felt like a western. You know, especially with a certain character. You know, walking into town uh, at most pig. Or Free City oh, or what? Yeah, whatever they call that town yeah, now. Yeah, Free City or whatever it is. Free, no, Freetown. They call it Freetown. Um, yeah. And it's like you see him walking in. We're talking I'm about like, our friend in the cowboy hat, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it was That's like. That's the first episode I watched. Um, and then my husband told me I was not allowed to watch anymore until I went and watched The Mandalorian. <laughs> well, it's good advice. And he basically it... spent the entire time staring at me. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, yeah, I loved it. Um, so, uh, yeah, it. I, I do think it gets better. It's definitely a pick for me. Um, and last for Brain Candy, I can't. I've been mentioning this every time we've recorded these episodes because there's still new episodes coming out. If you like a western, watch 1883. It is fantastic. I I love it. Um, I knew Tim McGraw was a good actor, but he is just knocking it out of the park uh, on the show, I think. Um, Faith Hill, I had no idea that she had any, you know, I hadn't seen anything she'd been in. Like, I know she's a great uh, singer, but she is a great actress as well, because she's fantastic in this, and they are fantastic together. Because they pay, uh, you know, they play a married couple. This is a, the prequel to Yellowstone, and I would actually say I think this is better than Yellowstone. I'm really enjoying it. Um, you know, it's it's literally a wagon train. Um, you know, going from Texas to Montana, and it's not easy. It's it's quite hard. Um, and it and I think really think that. Uh, they did a re- you know they do a real good job of showing the realism of what it was like to live in the West um, back in 1883. So I can't say enough great things about 1883. It's um, you know I can't wait to watch it every week. And I know it's going to be coming. The first season's going to be coming to an end here before too long. But um, and we've seen some glimpses because I like Yellowstone season four featured a couple of scenes featuring these characters. So I'm wondering like what happens because there's certain characters that aren't there. And I'm now I'm wondering if they're going to die, like, you know, like what's going to happen here. 
Um, but really quickly, I wanted to touch on uh, one of my geek resolutions this year was to watch The Witcher, and I can tell you, I think I'm going to abandon that one. I just cannot get into that show. Um, you know, and there's and the problem is, is there's so much great great stuff out there that I still have like like uh, Reacher. You know, I still got to watch that show. You know, um, so you know, given a choice between Reacher and The Witcher, it's like eh, I'm going to watch Reacher, and then something else is going to come out, and then something else, and and you know, and I got you know I got so much I got to read and so much fine for my time. So this is I think one of my geek resolutions for this year that I'm not going to be successful with, and that's the. Hey, it's too early to give up. Give yourself time. Well, we it, might get into a giant lockdown, and all of a sudden you have nothing to do <laughs> but watch maybe, The Witcher, okay? Maybe, but, you know, it's funny, because people keep telling me Season 2 isn't as good as Season 1, and Season 1 just ain't doing it for me, so I'm like, ugh, I don't know. But, yeah, it is only February, so we'll see. But that, that's where I'm at with that geek resolution. And Kevin... Uh, what do you have this week for brain candy? All right. Let's see. Um, short thing, not a full watch, but uh, today the new trailer for Jurassic World Dominion came out. Uh, so I yes, put it up on did. YouTube for my kid, and mm-hmm. he watched it five times. <laughs> and he was so excited. And then, wait, are these the people from Jurassic Park? They are. They're all going to be in here? Yeah. He's like, what about all dinosaurs? Like, I don't know. We're seeing lots of dinosaurs. He's like, I better see. And then the one he wanted to see came on, like, screen next. Lost his mind. Then he's like, I got to wait? I got to wait to see this movie? (laughs) It was so bad. Like, buddy, we got a lot of movies that you Mm want to see. I know, but I want to see this one now. Like, you want to see Uncharted. I've never played the games or anything, so I'm just like, I do not right. need to play the game. Just go admire Tom Holland. <laughs> which, me, him, you? Mm. Which, which one of us <laughs> is doing that? Anyway, um, just, you don't need to play the game. Just go admire how adorable he is. And, Mar- and Mark Wahlberg. He's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um... Anyways, <laughs> uh, like Lily. I, yeah. Um, I finished finally watching the Cowboy Bebop anime. Mm-hmm. Um, I've not done the live action yet because honestly, I was kind of burnt out. I <laughs> finally get through it, but that was the first time I watched it unedited all the way through and thoroughly enjoyed it. I said, "Okay, I think I'll probably revisit this in a couple of years." Like, just sit down and watch it all all over again. That was really good. Like, there's a reason why it's so iconic and stands up and, you know, is an all-time anime great. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm almost all caught up on Letterkenny. Mm. And coincidentally, this past Tuesday, I was supposed to see them live, but because of various COVID reasons, it's pushed back to, I think, June now. So hopefully that'll happen. Um, but yeah, I got, I ended up with, uh, tickets to see their live tour. And I guess, uh, depends on, uh, what city, um, it's various people from the cast. So you might not know until you're there who's going to be there for it. Oh, okay. Um, 
and, and the seasons are like six to eight episodes depending on the year and there's some episodes I'm like that is one of the funniest quick-witted brilliant things I've ever seen and then there are some where I'm like how are you only doing six seven episodes and you have a filler episode mm-hmm. uh Usually, though, uh, if it's a filler one, it's like, okay, this episode was to introduce this character, and then when you see them again on the finale, it'll matter. I'm like, all right, fine. Uh, I, I get it. Uh, just throw my own two cents in for Boba Fett as well. Um, apparently, there was an interview or, like, you know, the, the Disney thing where they said, here's all the shows coming next year or whatever. But apparently they said the next chapter of Mandalorian, and then that was how they introduced Book of Boba Fett. So they introduced it as part of the overall Mandalorian story, mm-hmm. which we all, I forgot, but we all kind of forgot. And then when Mando shows up and it becomes Mandalorian show for a couple episodes, it's like, well, what the hell are you doing? It's Book of Boba Fett. But it wasn't really. And I'm starting to wonder if the Star Wars things, if I should look at it as the Star Wars MCU. Like, hey, all of these stories are connected. They're all it's actually all one long story here. It which granted like it sounds silly, Star Wars is one long story, but that this T V show is actually one long story and this book of Boba Fett is the middle chapters of a longer book. Mm-hmm. So it's not that it was intended to be this great Boba Fett show, but in a way it's almost as if, hey, Boba Fett's a big character that we got to move on the board, and we got to move these other characters on the board too and introduce some other ones so we can do the next thing we have to do. Mm -hmm. So let's just go ahead and have a show to get all of our pieces in order, and then Mando Season 3 will start, and I, I don't know if any of the other shows will be connected to it or not. Like maybe the Ahsoka, Ahsoka, Ahsoka mm-hmm. one. Yep. Um, but I have a feeling that uh, kind of like I feel about Eternals and Age of Ultron, this is a middle chapter that a lot of the stuff in a couple of years from now, you're going to enjoy more because now you know where these pieces, you know, where the story went, where these characters yeah. went. Yeah. But we got to get them arranged first. Uh, I was, so I woke up Wednesday and I was just checking, you know, did, uh, did I went right to me on Facebook? Did the, you know, world burn down overnight? Like just, you know, usual news check. On yeah, Facebook, usual Twitter things, things things. Yeah. <laughs> and I see who was that at the end of the episode. And I'm like, nope, I'm off the internet for the day until <laughs> I can sign on. Yeah. Because who it was, I was in, in the tank. I was very happy with him. Like, oh, good. There, you know, he's still around. Like, excellent. Mm-hmm. But when I saw who was that at the end, I'm like, the whole day, though, until I got to watch it, I'm like, please tell me it was Dr. Afra. Please tell me it was Dr. Afra. And it wasn't. She's coming. She's got to. Because mm-hmm. we got a Kyr- Kyrgyzstan, Kyr- Kyr- whatever. Um, Black Kersanthan? Is that his name? Yeah. Something like that. Uh, the worst when I heard someone called him Chublaka. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. It's easier to say at least. <laughs> um, but with him being her partner in the comics there, and in the comics she's helping Darth Vader, which means they were teamed up and knew each other. Mm-hmm. 
before the events of Boba Fett and Mandalorian here, so she could, in theory, show up. But that's also going to be a big character, and that book's going to that comic's going to skyrocket overnight whenever she does appear. Yep. But I I know it's coming. Um, and speaking of comics, my last thing on here, I've started to read. I'm not that very far into it, but I went ahead and bought it. I've started to read all of the Marvels. Mm. The now, the new the was, new um one with Alex Ross and nope nope. So this is not a comic. This is a book about comics. This guy decided oh. to sit down and read every Marvel comic. Hmm. He started with Fantastic Four one and yep. went until whatever was the most recent when he was done writing. Um, he is skipping like the GI Joe and Transformers comics that don't tie in. Yeah. Uh, apparently, when he started the project, he was going to skip the Ultimates line, and then Secret Wars happened in the Ultimate Universe, and Miles Morales got brought in. So now he's like, "Well, here's a few hundred more comics I got to read now that I wasn't planning on." Yeah. But. I'm still in the the warm-up part of it. It kind of reads like a glorified college paper so far. As in, here's what I'm going to do. Here's my idea. Here's how I'm going to go about my idea. But we're not actually to the point yet. Of Okay, but what are you doing? Uh, However, it looks like a lot of the stuff he's going to do is what you learn about and see for the world, for American society, for our attitudes for what we think of heroes, what we think of technology, what we think of so many things, and how it comes across in the comics. Mm-hmm. So, like, one of the things he said is, for relationship, there's a lot of stuff I love for Reed and Sue Richards. There's a lot of it. But when you get an original Fantastic Four and Reed said something like, you know, Sue, why don't you get a sandwiches while the men are talking? That looks terrible now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It looks absolutely horrible. But it's a product of its time. And to see how we've progressed is very interesting. And one of his points is this Marvel shared universe, which we're all now enjoying for the movies and TV shows and everything else, is really an accident. Because it was, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna write this character, and someone else is gonna write this character, and oh, they both live in New York City, so they're probably gonna see each other, you know, every so often. Mm-hmm. They, they'll, they'll swing by each other, or they'll end up at the same fight. But that's all that was supposed to be was, oh, wouldn't it be cool if they met? And now we have this giant shared universe because he, he took a random comic, and he said, okay, to understand everything happening in this comic. Here's 20 other comics you would have to read mm-hmm. to get every reference, every single thing. But it's also written in a way that you don't have to. You can enjoy this for just what it is and the story that it is yep. and not read anything else. But if you want, you could deep dive and discover other things. Oh, they mentioned this. Let me go read that story. Oh, that was interesting. Let me read that and get deeper and deeper into the lore and enjoy it more and more because it, feels like a real world a real universe of this person does know this person this person did have an interaction we do have a history here and i'm like now that would be an interesting point here like we've actually created this living breathing changing universe here accidentally Mm -hmm. (laughs) and and through hundreds of creators so what do we kind of do with it so I'm I'm not that far into it yet. Not that I don't want to be. It's just 
you know, fine at the time, but it's so interesting. It's also full of footnotes too. It'll be like, and uh, this is what happened in Secret Wars. Footnote. I don't mean the 1980 series in which this happened, this happened, this happened. I mean the 2010 series in which this... <laughs> So he's trying to explain it all to people, too. And it's just, it's fun because uh, for a lot of us that are into con- comics, it, you know, it's almost like uh, stuff we've pulled down Lillian before. It's like, okay, here's what happened. <laughs> here's what we mean. And it sounds so batch fit to have to explain to an outsider yet it makes complete sense to us mm-hmm. so it's but at the very same time, if you think about all these shows that are coming out and people are just shocked and awed at some of the storylines and and a lot of it is actually canon to things that were done that doesn't even come close to the insanity that has happened in these formats and you're just like just wait just wait just wait till it gets going and tried to explain to them that this isn't brand new Oh, I mean, like my my dad's already threatening to tap out. He said, "There, there's too much Marvel stuff. I don't know if I'm gonna be able to keep up on it." I was like, "Try getting the comics too. Like, you think there's too much?" Yeah. But also, like a little little side tangent here. I think people that didn't, not just that didn't read comics, but weren't into fantasy and sci-fi and stuff like that, don't understand the tropes and the beats and the expectations that we see, you know, there's the, there's the comment of there's only so many, you know, what is it? Like there's only 12 stories to tell. Um, but you change the details and we want to see how you tell it in your own way, but there's only so many stories you can tell. I remember when heroes first started having all these friends that, didn't mm-hmm. do comics that didn't do sci-fi didn't do fantasy like oh my god this is amazing i wonder what will happen next i'm like i can tell you what will happen next mm-hmm. i'll tell you the whole season which is yet to air because i've already read this comic <laughs> i've already seen this story and i know exactly who they're ripping off to tell their story yep they're like, well, what do you mean? Like Watchmen, Rising Stars. Like, I, I can give you many examples here of what they're trying to do, and not as well. Yeah. Yeah, that was one show that yeah you know, was I I loved it that first season. Um, and I didn't mind the first. I don't want to say it was like the first part of season three, but and then the writer strike happened and all that kind of stuff, and it kind of affected it. Um, I I have a. I have a couple of things in like a fantasy world where I'm, you know, a published writer and can get away with things that there's a few IPs that I want to take file off the serial numbers and do my own version of it and quote, do it right. Mm-hmm. Heroes would be one of them to yep. just, let me take what you're trying. Let me take the essence and really try to do it well. Um, Side note, Sucker Punch would be the other one. <laughs> Let me try to do this right and not horribly misogynistic. Yeah. Yeah, that's one, one movie I haven't actually watched. I've watched, like, scenes on YouTube and stuff. And I actually, I think, bought the Blu-ray because it came in this nice metal case. And I was going to watch yeah. it. And I just, eh, didn't, couldn't couldn't get around to it. All right. Um, well, let's move on to our final segment of the evening, and that is our Enders segment. And, Michael, uh, do you want to kick mm-hmm. off Enders? Do you have any geek news that you would want to share with us this evening? 
Well, I do, actually. You mentioned Babylon 5 earlier today, and mm-hmm. Babylon 5, of course, has been under development again by J. Michael Straczynski, Joe Straczynski, who yep. created the first Babylon 5. He has been developing a new pilot, a reboot pilot for the CW network. Uh, now, the CW network is part of the Warner's thing, but there is a, uh, a, an issue where the network was actually going to be changing hands. It was going to be up for sale. Yep. Uh, they announced the pilots that were going to be going into production uh, in light of this, and Babylon 5 was not amongst those production those uh, those production orders. So a lot of people thought, well, that's it for that. That's not going to be happening. But according to J. Michael Straczynski himself, the um, uh, executive producer at the CW Network, who originally approached him with it, said, we uh, absolutely love this pilot. We absolutely love the show. We want you to produce it. So what we've done is we've moved it to the next year. Mm-hmm. So it will not be in 2021, or it will, won't be production in 2021. It will be production in 2022. So uh, it was not picked up with the newest um, batch of pilots, but it, it is still in active development, and it will eventually show up on the CW Network. So there will be a new um, Babylon 5, which will supposedly do what, you know, um, what uh, uh, Ronald Moore's Battlestar Galactica did for the original. This will reboot and reset the uh, Babylon 5. So I'm very excited to hear about that. Yeah, I, I had heard that um, now they're shooting for a fall 2023 release. Yes, I think uh, that, yeah, 2023, I think that's what it is. Yeah. yeah. You're right. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm, I'm willing to, well, I got no choice, but uh, I'm willing to wait. Uh, and I have faith in JMS that, uh, you know, he'll be, he'll do a good job. And apparently like that CW guy that like, who, um, you know, gave it the green light and everything and, 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 and all that. Apparently he's a fan of Babylon five. So he wants to see this show, uh, on the air. Uh, yeah. Mark, so. Mark Penovitz, uh, is president of the, of the CW and he's, um, he's a, he's a huge fan. Yeah, he said it's a damn fine. He said the pilot script was a damn fine script. Yep. So yeah, so they're behind it. Yeah. And well, of course, uh, in in Star Trek news, they're we're they're threatening again to give us another Star Trek Starfleet Academy TV series. Mm. Which um, <laughs> they've been threatening that for years. Like, do we really need a Star Trek Academy series, a Starfleet Academy show? No, yes. I, yes, we do desperately. Please, yeah. yes, and have Will Wheaton go be a teacher. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, I, I I wouldn't say no. Like I like yeah. I know like they've been talking for years. Like, um, you know, like originally Star Trek, they wanted Star Trek Six to be Kirk and Spock at the Academy. Um, uh-huh. but my hope is if they do an Academy show, have it original care like uh, uh new characters i don't want to see like you know picard and riker at starfleet academy no i don't i don't want to see that because they wouldn't have been at the academy together you know what i mean like or or i don't want to see one singular character like you know this is Worf at the academy which i know that was a was a book series in the 90s like for uh scholastic i think um but I, I don't want to see that either. I, I'd rather just see if they're going to do an academy, have original characters. Um, I, I don't know. I just I just I'm just afraid that it's going to end up as, you know, nine oh two one oh one you know one one seven. I would not. Uh, I would not be upset with that. I would not be upset with Degrassi 
kind of like <laughs> Stormlight Academy, like murder mystery. Come on, let's do like a like a, a Nancy Drew Starfleet Academy. I don't care. I just think it'd be amazing because yeah, I just I just don't have think to have I'm, a groundskeeper. I'm just not the demographic for that kind of show. I guess. <laughs> yeah. If it's something that would get the younger generation into it, I would totally yes. Yeah, I, I've heard of worse things. Like I know in the n- early '90s, they were thinking of doing a, a Lawaxana Troy sitcom. I'm so <laughs> glad that didn't happen. Um, because especially now, like what uh, you know, like rewatching Next Generation, those are not really good episodes. You know, like no offense to Major Barrett Roddenberry, but you mm. know. She she definitely was better as the computer voice, not as Luoxana. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, yeah. If 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 they're trying to target a new demographic, then you know, I guess that would be would be the way to go. Because I mean, you know, when you take shows like Riverdale and and um, you know, what you know, whatever else CW is doing to draw in a yeah. younger crowd, you know. I, could, I definitely could see them going that route. Um, mm-hmm. I'm I'm more you know fingers crossed. I'm I'm hopeful for the new Ants and Mount series because I love Ants and Mount so much. Uh, Strange mm-hmm. New Worlds. I'm really hoping they go back to the original f- formula. You know, weekly episode. You know, something with a message. You know, like that. That's what I'm 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 fingers crossed. I'm real. That's the series I'm looking forward to this year. Yeah. Minor story arc every now yeah. and then, but just yeah. actually wrap up the entire episode nicely. Yeah. Yes. Well, and and I don't mind story arcs that continue from episode to episode. Like, I mean, they did that on Deep Space Nine. But it's but... not a constant. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. So, and... I mean, that's where um, Orville did really well, and I enjoyed that. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm so excited for that new season, which I think got pushed back to June. And I don't even know. I if know it's, a... it's next because like they're calling it Orville something like Orville. I don't want to say Reloaded, yeah. but something like that. Yeah, uh, it's got a subtitle. Yeah, so, but, but it, it it looks good. Um, you know, like wh- one thing that I, I I love about Orville over the new Star Trek is Orville. They they still. Like, they do, like, the actual models. Like, they film with models. I mean, they do definitely have some CGI computer-generated, you know, especially the space battles. Like, But just seeing mm-hmm. the, you know, the Orville do the flyby, you know, at the screen, you know, so reminiscent of, you know, the Enterprise doing the flyby, uh, that's an actual model. And I and you can, I don't know, I just, I can tell the difference. I can just feel the difference mm-hmm. when I see that. Anyway, sorry, M- MDJ, did you have any other news you wanted to that throw out there? Okay. Uh, I, I, I got a lot, but that's all I'm going to throw out. Perfect. Uh, Kevin, did you have anything this week? Um, unfortunately, i got to decide for my poll list if I'm getting the next big DC Comics crossover thing, which I already don't want, but I also don't want to be left out. Hmm. Um, so it's going to start with Death of the Justice League. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which, yeah. Yeah. So, um, apparently the Justice League is off to fight a bad guy 
called The Great Darkness, who has been in hiding and has been behind all of the Prius crisis and universe-spanning events for the last 30, 40 years. Hmm. Uh, something happens, only one member of Justice League comes back. And then this goes into Dark Crisis, which will be, uh, quote, a new generation of heroes steps up to fill the void that the Justice League leaves behind. Hmm. So I'm kind of curious because they've been doing their their Dark Knights and Dark Metal and stuff like that for a while. Uh, Batman Who Laughs is part of this. It's pretty much been the... Dark multiverse has evil versions of all of your heroes, mm-hmm. but multiple like there's a there's an evil version of Batman, which is Batman who laughs. But then there's an evil version of like Batman kind of combined with Aquaman, and then Batman combined with Flash, and it's just crazy stuff and and great visuals and it looks cool and everything, but we got you know, all these multiverses and complicated levels here. And now we got a new generation of heroes and future heroes and other, well, like it's getting so tough to keep track of, mm-hmm. but I'm also curious because there's no way you kill the entire justice league. You don't kill Superman, Batman, wonder woman, you know, I mean, all but one when half of DC's books every month are Batman or Batman related. Yeah. Plus all Superman titles. Plus like, you know, you don't, killed them off but my theory that i've said before is i could see let's have something happen to the justice league and take the team off the board for a while Mm -hmm. and leave that huge void of there's no justice league so who's going to be our team to step up when a giant bad guy attacks all right well this new generation of heroes or the titans or Geez, you bought up all of Jim Lee's properties. Maybe use one of them, like mm-hmm. Wildcats or, or something, to just yep. throw in there. Like taking a giant thing like Justice League away from creators and from readers for a year, two years, you're going to have to level up some of your B characters and B teams to fill that space. And if you do it well enough, you might do it to a point where you can continue that once justice league comes back and have two a-level franchises going Mm -hmm. so i kind of hope that's what they're doing um you know uh, marvel's had the x-men as the number one team for years and avengers was a joke when i was reading avengers as a kid and loving it but it was a joke you know the the infamous uh all the avengers wear jackets era like why? Why I don't know. This just that's their team look, I guess. And now the Avengers are cool, and we got tons of X Men stuff and all. And Fantastic Four is a big crossover event happening. Like they got a lot of things. But DC never really capitalized. I mean, everyone knows Teen Titans, but they know it for the crazy cartoon, which that doesn't really translate into the comics in the same way. Um, and I think that they know that they need to do something to bring up awareness of their characters there because for uh, other than cw marvel's leaps ahead of them for mainstream appeal for things so i'm kind of hoping this is you know getting attention on other characters and i'll be curious enough and 
hopefully it doesn't mean that there's like 10 side crossover issues per month because I am not buying all of those. <laughs> yeah, gotta love the those big crossovers. Ugh. I, I find, yeah, I guess this one's a little hard because, yeah, they're supposedly taking so many characters off the board, but I find for, like, a lot of these crossovers, I just wait till they're over and then I, I pick them up on a comiXology sale. Because I just, I, I don't... Well, like, I, yeah. Sorry, I go saw, ahead. um... No, sorry. I saw X of Swords uh, for a discount price today. Like, uh, the graphic novel. And I debated on it because I thought, if I'm going to read that, Collected's the way to read it. Mm-hmm. Not single issues. And then I saw it's volume two, and I said, nope. <laughs> if I could get volume one, maybe. But I'm going to be very confused for that one if I go in for volume two. I already know. Yeah. And a comic that needs breaks from comic pages to just have pages of text to explain to you all that's happening, I got to do it from the beginning. Yeah. Um, I, I hate ending... Uh, the podcast on a sad note, but this is a hopeful note, I guess. Um, a few weeks ago, we we talked about uh, uh, comic book artist George Perez. Um, he's been given a you know a year to live um, or so, uh, unfortunately. Um, and one of the one of his projects that I I mentioned. Uh, was Future Imperfect, the the Incredible Hulk? One, my, like I think it's my favorite Incredible Hulk story. Um, but uh, most recently, the writer of that story, Peter David, uh, he's also having health issues. Um, unfortunately, he's going through kidney failure uh, right now, and he's just uh, he's on a donor waiting list. Um, so, yeah. Uh, uh, Excuse me. No. No, no, no. He is not allowed to get ill and he is not allowed to get anything until I can sit down and have dinner with that man and discuss in Zotti. Mm, yes, he is a Star Trek novelist and Babylon 5 novelist. He's um, I, I met I got the the the, uh, the good fortune of, of meeting him in 2012 at a at a Calgary Comic Con and, and um, I saw him there. And I said hello to him, but I I, I want to actually sit. I want him to go to something like Volcon so we can just sit down yeah. with him. Like, yeah, like uh, this. He, no, like no. Yeah. Well, the thing the, the thing with Peter is uh, is he's a survivor. Like he had a stroke a few years ago, and he battled through that. And and I mean, um, you know, like uh, yesterday, like. Uh, 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 Kev was posting about the you know the the week's comic books that he picked up, and I threw I I I in my comments I said Maestro because the new Maestro series just came out, which is uh, a future version of the it's the Hulk from the Future Imperfect series, uh, and Peter David is writing that series of uh, limited series. This is the third one I think he's done, and yeah. It's some of the best comics I, I think Marvel does, um, and you know definitely it's you know Peter David is still I I I think he's 
still at the top of his game, you know, like he's an amazing comic book writer. Uh, so fingers crossed, you know, like he'll pull through this just like he pulled through, you know, his other um, health crises and, uh, you know, we'll get better. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I was just actually just reading that on his, uh, he, he had posted it to Facebook today. He had a procedure done and he's doing okay and, and he's just uh, on the donor waiting list. So, you know. Fingers crossed he's going to pull through this one too. Um, all right. Well, I think we could call this an episode. But before we go, let's play that little game of where we can find you on the internet. And Lillian, where can we find you? All right. So you can find me on Twitter. Um, it's Talking Squirrel with no A there. Um, that's me. And I am always around in some capacity. And you can come and say hello. Excellent. Um, lately, I've just been posting a lot on Facebook. I, I, I am the admin of several groups on Facebook. Uh, the Pop Culture Pub Podcast Network uh, Facebook group. Uh, Lockhart's uh, favorite uh, animation and toy franchises. Uh, a group called Outer Spaces, which is about you know, real life space and space exploration, that sort of thing. I'm the admin of the incredible fans of the incredible Hulk on Facebook. And last but not least, uh, Trek 1701, a Star Trek podcast has a Facebook group. Uh, so on all those groups, I'm posting pictures and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, if you like that sort of thing, check that out. I do have a blog, randomnerdist.blogspot.com. I don't really do a lot of blogging these days. So, but if you want to, you know, catch up on some of my older stuff. And, uh, yeah, um, I, I'm, I'm here on the Pop Culture Pub podcast. Uh, we will have a new episode of Trek 1701 before the end of February. Uh, we were just taking a little break. Uh, our One of our co-hosts, Curtis, had uh, some surgery, and he's doing great. And uh, we're, we just took a few weeks off for him to recover because... Uh, on the most current episodes of Trek 1701, we're, we're covering uh, the uh, final seasons of Star Trek Enterprise. Um, so we didn't want to do an episode without Curtis, so we're taking some time off. But we will be back before the end of the month. Uh, Kevin, where can we find you, sir? All right, you can find my website is masklibrary.com on most social medias i'm at mask library and i had a new episode of my podcast hellions talks which is uh hosted on the retro network just went up interviewing one of my local independent wrestlers and i have the next three guests already scheduled for it too awesome so i'm looking forward to that more more wrestlers some comic people and I'll see what other creators I can talk into talking to me for a bit. Excellent. Um, and and Michael had mentioned uh, the author Joel Jenkins, so I I did, you know, check him out on Amazon, of course. And I just realized I already bought one of his books, which was uh, the cover art was by uh, Michael Jack Michael D Jackson, and that is Midnight Ad Avengers, which. I, I still haven't read yet. It's it's in my pile. Um, it's it's a lot of fun. 
it looks like a lot of fun, and the cover was, of course, amazing. Um, so, Michael, where can we find you, sir? Okay, uh, um, you can find me at uh, uh, mdjackson.artstation.com. That's my uh, my uh, art gallery. Um, you can uh, find me my writing at uh, Jack McKenzie Writer at WordPress.com. Um, I've currently got an, uh, an article about what I would like to see with the, with the uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi TV series. Nice. Um, also, uh, Dark Worlds Quarterly is a website that I contribute to. I'm, I'm the administrator of that. That's darkworldsquarterly.gwthomas.org. Uh, but if you just look for Dark Worlds Quarterly, I'm sure it'll come up. Uh, something new there every day. Excellent. Yeah, it, like with the Obi-Wan Kenobi series, I'm looking forward to that. But one thing that that they did so beautifully in the Star Wars Rebels uh, animated series was Obi-Wan's final confrontation with Darth Maul. And I would so love to see that done in live action. Um, with, but it would create some issues because they would have to do a live action Ezra Bridger. But maybe mm. that might happen. Well, I, I don't know. My ideas were not entirely serious. <laughs> I, I kind of thought thought a mashup of Star Wars and and uh, American Graffiti would would work as a TV series, but you know that's just me. That <laughs> Jack would. McKenzie, he's crazy. <laughs> yeah, excellent. Um, all right. Well, I guess this is an episode. So uh, I want to thank you, dear listener, for taking the time to listen. To all of us talk about things that we liked before we were born. We were joined with Kevin Decent, Lillian Knelson, and Michael D. Jackson was our special guest this evening. And I was your host. My name is Chris Lockhart. And we will see you again in the not-too-distant future. Gonna rock the town without being seen Have you ever seen a turtle get down? Slamming and jamming to the new swing sound Yeah, everybody let's move Vanilla is filled with a new jack move Gonna rock and roll the place With the power of the ninja turtle face Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. The popcorn can't be beat. The sparkling drinks are just dandy. The chocolate bars and the candy. So let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat.